And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 139. And also take your outline out from the worship folder as we get into God's Word together this morning. Uh, we've been doing a series on answering the, the big questions that people have about Christianity and learning how to respond uh, to the questions that people have. And um, uh, this morning isn't a, an apologetics uh, message exactly, but uh, it, it is in the sense that we often have a differing opinion on this subject with people who are uh, unbelievers, with people who are in the world. Uh, we hear it all the time on the news. And um, when we're asked about it, we need to know what to say and how to respond. So I want to start with talking about what we did a few weeks ago with the reliability of the Bible. Uh, and there was a quote that I gave uh, from John Stott, and he said, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. So basically what we're talking about this morning is there's a biblical answer, and that's what we're going to look at, the biblical response. And we need to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word, even though we may not agree with, uh, with what we're talking about. But again, it's not bringing God's word in line with what we think, but bringing our lives in line with God's word. And so the first thing that we need to recognize is the need for, for love and for compassion uh, for those who have been through this, uh, what is really a painful experience of having an abortion. And the decision to have an abortion is, is often a very difficult one, and there are a lot of factors involved, and uh, people are desperate. I understand. I've talked to, to women uh, a number of times who have had abortions, and it's hard. And uh, many times it happened before they were a Christian, before they knew what the Bible teaches, but they still, they, they still deal with the guilt. And so it's our response has always got to be one of love and, and understanding and reaching out and finding out how we might be able to serve and help. And so like on any topic, um, we, uh, we, we want to ask what the Bible says and, and understand that. And what we're up against is that there are about a million babies in America that are aborted every year. Uh, a book I have on the topic I think of, is descriptive of what's happening today. It's called The Silent Holocaust. And what we're up against is an attitude like one medical doctor who's on the Planned Parenthood Physicians association who calls pregnancy, and I quote, a disease that needs to be cured by abortion. He wrote a paper entitled, Abortion is Treatment for Unwanted Pregnancy, the Second Sexually Transmitted Disease. On the other hand, uh, we have uh, doctors like this one from France, who is a part of the fundamental genetics uh, research part of the University of Rene Descartes in Paris. As far as I know, he is not a believer, but this is what he says. 
At two months of age, a human being is less than one thumb length from head to rump. He would fit at ease in a nutshell. But everything is there. Hands, feet, head, organs, and brain. In the fourth week, his consciousness, all are in place. His heart has been beating for a month already and fingerprints can be detected. Fingerprints. His heart is beating at two months at 150 to 170 beats a minute. To accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. And so today I want to look at arguments from scripture against abortion. We could look at biology, we'll maybe use some examples from there, social arguments, um, might mention some of those, but I want to especially talk about what God says in his word. And I realized in preparing this that this could have been a, and it's not going to be, it's just going to be today, but it could be a 10-part series. There's a lot to say on this issue, biblically even. I think there's a lot of truth what, um, to what former president Ronald Reagan said. He said, I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. At the top of your outline says this, Psalm 139 is about some of the highest and most important of all theological truths. God's omniscience, God's omnipresence and his omnipotence. But the psalm is also wonderfully personal because it speaks of these attributes of God in ways that impact the psalmist and us in the creation of the psalmist himself and of us. So my goal is to show us that as followers of Jesus, abortion is incompatible with a biblical understanding of life. This is a psalm in which David is reflecting on how well God knows him. And in the end, he wants to be known by God as well and realizes that he is. And so in verse one, and we're, we're not gonna read the whole psalm and I'm gonna read a section in just a moment, but in verse one, it begins with, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And it ends in verses 23 and 24. Look at those verses in your Bible with this great prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is saying, I want you to examine my heart, Lord. And I want you to tell me what you find. Tell me what you see. And in verses 13 to 18 that we're going to focus on, David speaks about how God knew him before he was born. And from, uh, from these verses and others, we can draw principles that give us help in understanding where we ought to be on this issue, what our stand should be. So follow along in your Bibles as I read Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13. For you created my inmost being... You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I, I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is God's word. So David is not writing about abortion. Uh, The Jewish mindset did not think that way. But no one can read these verses thoughtfully today without seeing their obvious bearing on the super important topic in our culture right now. When people argue about the right of a woman to have an abortion, they say, well, it's the woman's body. Uh, They can do with it what they want. Usually they argue that the fetus is not a person, but is only a part of the woman's body like her gallbladder or her appendix, and it can be removed if she so elects to do so. To get rid of tissue doesn't seem that bad. But this is not the way the Bible speaks about an unborn child. Even the life of an unborn child is God-owned and God-imprinted and a sacred life. And so you've got this on your outline. Abortion attacks God's heart. It grieves him to the core. Verse 13 says this, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. David doesn't know about DNA, but he did know how babies are conceived and how babies are born. And his focus is that babies are a creation of God. And verse 14 continues, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And so the next thing on your outline, the biblical mind says that from the moment of conception, we carry the image of God. David is not just talking about the miracle of bones and and flesh and muscles and nerves and blood vessels, this genius of God, uh, how he created us. But, But David is talking about the fact that we carry the image of God. Genesis 127 says, so God created mankind in his own image. It's God's image on our lives. that makes us different from animals, from any other created being. We are not mere mortals. We are immortal. And what is David's response to God in these verses? It's God, I praise you. I worship you for who you are. Praise God. And so Psalm 139 leads us to some powerful implications for our lives and and specifically on this topic. And we're going to look at three reasons that this passage gives us why the life of an unborn child is indeed a sacred life. So the first thing that it points out, it's number one on your outline, is that abortion silences praise 
we should give to God. The parents and the grandparents and the, of, and, and the friends of an aborted child will never say, look at this beautiful child. Praise God for this creation. Thank God for this one. And that child will never have the opportunity, like David did, to say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a crime to rob a child from being able to say that. But but far worse than that, God made something that he deserves to be praised for. And what he created is destroyed in abortion. Some of you might remember some years ago, the uproar in the international news, this was actually decades ago, when Michelangelo's Piatta in Rome was attacked by a man with a hammer, this beautiful statue of Mary holding Jesus, who's dying. Piatta in in Italian means pity. Uh, It's translated compassion. And this amazing, beautiful sculpture was hit, I think, about 10 times pretty hard before somebody was able to stop this man. And you could argue that Michelangelo's statue was destroyed. Uh, it's been repaired. And it's, it's, but the artist, what he had created was destroyed, damaged, deeply damaged. Abortion robs God of the praise that he deserves for something he created. The second implication that we can draw from Psalm 139 uh, is that abortion destroys a person who bears the image of God. Listen to what Genesis 9, 6 says, in the image of God has God made mankind. That's why human life is so uniquely precious is because we bear God's image and abortion destroys a person made in the image of God. Greg Kokel is one of, uh, is the founder of Stand to Reason and one of our former Summerfest speakers. He's spoken here in our church and he writes this and it's on your outline. If the unborn is not a human person, no justification for abortion is necessary. However, if the unborn is a human person, no justification for abortion is adequate. And so again, on your outlines, we are all the special object of God's loving care. The Lord identifies, throughout scripture we see this, with the poor and the widow and the orphan and the defenseless. And covered in this list is the helpless creation which has been conceived in the womb of a woman. In Psalm 82, it says, defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. And it's true that God has a special concern for the helpless. And who is more helpless and who is weaker and who is more defenseless than an unborn child? And so they, as all others who are weak and defenseless, become those especially cared for by God. Innocent, defenseless, unborn people have a special protector who wants to bring them to birth, no matter what the circumstances are that, they, that brought about their conception or what difficulty there might be in the life to come. 
God has his purposes. In the Old Testament times, did you know that if you're responsible for killing an unborn child, uh, you paid with your life. It was treated as a murder. In Exodus 21, you can read it later. You've got the, the reference in front of you, but following the Ten Commandments, God gives a number of laws regarding life and all the different circumstances that you can run across in life many of them. And we have a very interesting account. It says here, and starting in verse 22, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. So now follow the thought here. Two men are fighting. A woman gets in between them. That's happened before. And somehow she's hit in the process. And consequently, that trauma causes a premature birth. And if all that happens is the child is born early, then there's no further injury. Then there's a fine, uh, whatever the husband asks for and the court agrees on. But if there is serious injury, and so what would any further injury be? Well, it would be something more severe, uh, including the loss of life. And it says that you are to take a life as a penalty for a life, life for life. What's the point? The point is that if you're responsible for killing an unborn child in Old Testament times, you paid with your life. In other words, to take the life of a child while it's still in the womb constituted murder. That's God's perspective. That's what he says about it. And so the question is, do we bring our lives in line with God's word? Or do we think we should bring our, our, uh, God's word in line with our lives, which is not the way to do it? Scripture teaches very clearly that conception is an act of God. And that every person conceived is conceived in the image of God. And that each person is the special care of God. God cares for those who are helpless. And then the third implication from Psalm 139 is that abortion denies God the chance to bring good out of heartbreak. If all of life is a creation of God and all unborn infants are fearfully and wonderfully made, then not even babies born out of the horrible violence of rape or incest should be aborted. I realize that someone who's faced that could look at me and say, what do you know? What do you know? You're a man. What do you know? I know what God thinks. That's what I know. And what I know is that God is great. And he's great enough to bring good out of a situation even like that. And I I do not believe that the way to deal with one horrible heartbreak is to add to it another tragedy. The truth is rooted in who God is. That's what we need to see. Uh, Do you remember there was a, some of you will remember, some of you have no idea who this is, but there was a, a great gospel singer named Ethel Waters. Show of hands, anyone remember who that is? Some of you will. Look it up on YouTube afterwards. You'll see her singing. Uh, I remember her singing at Billy Graham Crusades. She had this big, huge smile. 
And, and she would sing. And in her autobiography, she quotes Psalm 139 and says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then she tells this story. And I quote, a, a pretty young African-American girl was attacked and raped by an older white man in Pennsylvania. The girl was barely past her 13th birthday when she found out she was pregnant. But she refused to have an abortion and gave birth to a healthy baby girl who came to love Christ and live for his glory and bring joy to many. A girl whose theme song was his eye is on the sparrow. And Ethel Waters writes, that girl born to that 13-year-old was me. God can bring great blessing out of great heartache. And then look at verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. David basically repeats the same ideas that we've just heard, but this time he's not so much emphasizing that God creates the unborn child as that God sees every part of that child's development. It's a metaphor. David knows it's a metaphor. He doesn't think babies come from some dark hole in the earth. That's a word picture. What he's saying is, I know the secret place. And it's the womb of a woman. And he understands that, but he's speaking in a poetic way, absolute, about the mystery of that dark and wonderful place where the baby is given life. And then he finishes in verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so God oversees the unborn child's complete development, even before the mother knows they're there. Do you remember the story in John 9 of the man born blind? The disciples say to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus responds and says, neither. This man was born blind so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus isn't implying that blindness doesn't somehow have its root in a sinful world. Because in a perfect world, there would be no blindness. But that God uses these things for his purposes in the lives of people. The implication of these verses, and, and this is on your outline, is that if giving life and ordaining the days of life is God's right, then it cannot also be a woman's right. It's true that she can choose today to abort a baby, but just because it's legal doesn't mean it's morally right. In fact, it's not morally right, it's morally wrong. Life's quality is determined by our submission to God to give him glory and live for him in all of life's circumstances. And to deprive a child of the opportunity to have a relationship with God is wrong. And then look at verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. 
How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So what are the precious thoughts of God that David is thinking? What did he mean? Well, given this context about how God knows him, He's not thinking about all the things that that God thinks about. We can't do that. Our minds are finite. God's mind is infinite. He's thinking particularly about God's thoughts for him. Do you know that God has an infinite number of thoughts about you? And that started even before you were born? They would number more than the grains of sand, David says. God has invested innumerable thoughts about every person here, about you. And he begins thinking those even before your conception. Of the prophet Jeremiah, God says in Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God's thinking about us all the time. I heard that when you're, you know, around 30, before 30, you're growing up, you're so concerned about what everyone thinks about you. And then after 30, you know, when you grow up, you, you learn not to think about what other people are thinking about you. And then after 60, you realize no one's thinking about you. <laughs> the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 writes this, speaking about those of us who know Christ in particular. And he says, for he chose us in Christ before When? Before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. David says that God's thoughts to us are are precious to us because as one commentator put it, they are proof of God's own infinite commitment to us. God is infinitely committed to you. God knows every child intimately, even those who are unborn. To God, every child is a wanted child. No matter how unwanted a child may be in this world, there are no children, born or unborn, that God does not design and prize. Another thing we need to say here is that there is is sin and damage and abortion, to be sure, but it is not the unforgivable sin. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. And so on your outline, you have this, that God gives his redeeming grace to all the participants in this tragedy. I believe that God redeems his children who are aborted. God's grace reaches out to those little ones to be with himself for all eternity. The Bible is very clear that hell is for those who reject God and reject Christ, something an unborn infant doesn't have the opportunity to do. God embraces them, I believe, into his own kingdom. And God also offers forgiveness to those who have aborted their children. You you have to know that Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness for sin. That's the truth. 
And there may be some of you who've worked in the medical field or somehow been involved with abortions and, and on whatever level. And of course, when you come to faith in Christ, all your sins are forgiven. So let me ask you this. When Christ died on the cross, how many of your sins were in the future? All of them. Your sins that you've already committed and the sins you will commit, they're all forgiven by Christ on the cross. That's why we need to live lives of, of, of confession before God, why we need to live lives of, of repentance. All of our life should be a life of repentance before God. And of course, when, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of passages in the Bible that tell us to celebrate life and affirm life and validate life and protect it. It would be inconceivable for an Israelite woman under normal circumstances to even think for a moment about the possibility of, of ending a pregnancy. One of the earliest and more, most authoritative books on the Christian life was written right around the year 100. We're not sure exactly when it was written, but it's called the Didache. It's not very long. It's short. You can look it up and read it. And um, the church was growing. And so not only were there people that had a Judeo-Christian ethic that came, but many who were pagans, many who came from cultures that practiced abortion. And so in the Didache, the section two, the second verse, it says this. Remember when this was written. You shall not murder a child, whether by abortion or by infanticide. Clear as day. The Bible tells us of God's love for the unborn, but as Christ commands us as Christians, we're not even to speak harshly to one another. We're to speak kindly to one another. Why? Because we don't take, want to take any of the shine off of being human, being made in the image of God. We need to treat each other that way. And so, you know, I, I can't close this message without giving us some specific challenges. And first of all, and this is on your outline, come to a well-informed conviction on this issue. It's easy to hear sound bites, easy to look at bumper stickers or billboards or to read the news or listen to the news and climb on the bandwagon of one group or another because you think their arguments make sense to your finite mind. But we need to go back to what God says about this issue. Do some authentic reflection. Do some deep personal research on your own. Don't have a low integrity approach of getting on some bandwagon just because you hear a slogan or whatever. Some of you who came here this morning may have come in, walked in pro-choice, and, and you think that uh, pro-abortion is just, you think abortion is, is fine. I'm glad you're here. Um, but do you really know why you hold that position? Could you really defend it? That's a rhetorical question because I don't think you can, given the biblical reasons. Are you willing to submit to God's word? That's really what it comes back to. Even if your mind says one thing, you follow God's word, you're obedient to God's word. 
And are you willing to disagree with logic? Because if, think about this, if it's a happy, beautiful, 36-week-old baby that's born, it's a person. That same baby lives three weeks longer in the mother's womb and the mother decides to get an abortion. It's not a person. That's not logical. It doesn't make sense. I'm sure no one here believes it's okay to take the life of a five-year-old child or a two-year-old child. It's not okay to take the life of a one-month-old child or a one-day-old child. What about one day before they're born? What about one week or one month? That, that baby is a person from the time of conception. Someone has said that by far the most dangerous location for children on this planet, unfortunately, is in a mother's womb, just eight inches up the birth canal. Others of you have come here pro-life, you believe it, but can you give a compelling defense if somebody asks you? Or did you just climb on the bandwagon with the group that you thought was right on, on that issue? We have our own Silent Voices ministry here with Sharon Pierce out at the table. Um, we've got some practical things you can do to help Silent Voices. And I hope you'll stop by the table today and ask how you can help. My final challenge is those of you who are here uh, who have maybe terminated pregnancies or been involved in, on some level, uh, you need to know that grace, God's grace, God's forgiveness awaits you at the cross. And so on your outline, all of us need to expose our moral failures to the light of God's holiness. We all need to be reminded of the words in Isaiah 1 where the prophet Isaiah speaks for the Lord and the Lord says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. We are all sinners and we have one clear option in scripture and that is to come to the cross of Christ, the blood-stained cross of Christ because he shed his blood for you so that you can have life. And think about what Christ did on the basis of that. We go to Christ and our scarlet sins become white as snow at the cross. You know, we have like 18 families uh, who have had children in the last couple years here in our church. And um, we have another four or five, six maybe families that are pregnant and expecting a child. Um, may they be a constant reminder to us of what God thinks about this issue. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have called us to this clear understanding of, of this issue in your word. Thank you for the invitation you give us to come to your son Jesus, to turn from our ways and to know your forgiveness. 
I pray that all who have been touched by, by your word would come to the foot of the cross and receive you as Savior and Lord. Help all of us, Lord, to live a life of repentance. I pray that each person here would, would come to you and, and, and confess and repent and, that, and ask you for the cleansing that you offer. Father, we do pray for our, our country. We ask that you would cause this nation to be drawn to the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that many would turn to you for forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that you wash us as white as snow. And help us to know how to be able to speak clearly on this matter, to take a stand where we must. By your grace, by your kindness, point people to you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I think it's a great way to end with the prayer that we, um, we read at the end of Psalm 139. Search us, O God. Know our hearts. Test us. Know our anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, please take advantage of being here and introduce yourself to some folks around you. God bless. Mm -hmm.